Today on Blue 58, the Packers took advantage of a weak secondary to put up big numbers in Week 1. Can they do the same in Week 2? That's what we'll find out when the Packers take on the Lions at Lambeau Field on Sunday. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. I'd like to circle back to last week. This is kind of going to be the theme, I think, until the Packers hit their bye week or so. I was very pleased with how the game went on Sunday for a couple of reasons. First, Packers win is great, obviously. Secondly, not to sound like I'm feathering my own cap all that much, but it fit perfectly with what we talked about in last week's preview podcast. The idea was that for most of the other parts of the season here, the Packers games are going to be more about the Packers from our perspective as fans, as people who are trying to learn more about the team, than about the teams that they're, that they're playing. That's for a pretty simple reason. We don't know a lot about the NFL right now, and we won't for the first month of the season, for a few reasons, a lot of which we talked about last week. But just to recap, no preseason, a weird year, to say the least, and a lot of sloppy kind of figure it out as you go early season football. That leads to a lot of numbers we can't really trust, a lot of film where you don't really know what's going on, and a lot of teams that are just question marks as we prepare to watch them take on the Packers. So where does that leave us as Packers fans? Well, the big obvious point is having to focus more on the Packers than their opponent, which may be a good approach to use in general, but For our purposes, it makes it tough to to really do a preview because most previews are about the opponent. But we can look at it kind of from a reverse perspective. As other teams are figuring themselves out, so are the Packers. So as we try to figure out what the Packers are, we can see how they match up intention-wise with the teams that they are about to play. So as the Packers figure themselves out, we get a chance to figure themselves or figure them out right along with the team. So let's try to approach this week's preview that way. And until we get to the bye week, just a few weeks away now, it's kind of going to be that way for the Packers. What are the Packers? And can they be that against whoever they're playing this week? So let's talk about the Lions offense taking on the Packers defense. A good way to figure out who the Packers are is to think about how you would attack them. So say you were an opposing offensive coordinator. Where would you begin the process of attacking the Packers? I know what I would do. I would go straight up the middle, both against the run, both in the run game and in the pass. The Packers under Mike Pettin, really throughout all of last season, 2018, you can kind of throw that out. It was was a weird year. But 2019, in the present iteration of the Packers' defense and into 2020, seems to have a relatively soft underbelly. The secondary is consistent. It can give up big plays. But I wouldn't start poking there. I wouldn't go after Jair Alexander or Adrian Amos right off the bat. I would start probing the middle of the Packers' defense. Why is that? 
Well, as we've talked about for most of the offseason now and into the regular season, the Packers have some significant question marks on the defensive line. There remain a significant amount of questions at inside linebacker. Christian Kirksey was pretty okay last week. I don't know if I would consider him an upgrade over Blake Martinez at this point. Whatever athleticism he was supposed to bring to the linebacking core didn't seem to necessarily be there, seeing that he got outrun a couple times by Kirk Cousins. But at the very least, it seems like an area where you could push a little bit if you're an opposing offense. Complicating that is the Kenny Clark injury. And I am operating under the assumption right now that Kenny Clark is not going to play this Sunday. And really, if it's a groin injury and we're hoping to have him for the entire season, I might just see if we could make it to week five without him. That's a that's an entirely different subject. For our purposes today, we really have to just say that Kenny Clark is probably not going to play. And even if he does, he's not going to be close to 100%. So strategically, right off the bat, if we look at who the Packers are, the logical thing for the Lions to do would be to try to attack right up the middle. The big question then is, can the Lions do that? Well, how would you attack straight up the middle? Short passing, using your tight ends and slot receivers, and maybe some power running. Do the Lions have the personnel to pull that off? Unfortunately for the Packers, I would say yes. Last year's top draft pick in Detroit was TJ Hawkinson. A much-heralded tight end out of Iowa, considered by many one of the best tight end prospects maybe since Rob Gronkowski. Had a pretty solid game in week one. The Bears threw a lot of different things at him. They took him away for a time, but he's going to find a way to get open sooner or later. How confident are you that the Packers can find a way to neutralize him? I'm not super confident. The Lions also have slot receiver Danny Amendola. Probably not one of the best in the league, but no slouch either. Should the Lions want to attack the middle of the field, a combination of Hawkinson and Amendola is probably going to get the job done against most opponents much less an opponent with some questions up the middle. Finally, the third element we mentioned there was power running. And who is suiting up for the Detroit Lions at running back this year? Our old friend, Adrian Peterson. If there is an archetypal power runner, downhill runner, in recent NFL history, let's just say the last 30 years, it's probably Adrian Peterson. Yep, he's almost 36 years old. Ask the Bears how much that mattered last week. He can still get it done, even at his advanced age. And I wouldn't count out Peterson finding a little bit of extra against the Green Bay Packers this week. So the Lions, it seems, would be fairly well positioned to attack the Packers on offense. What about the Packers' offense attacking the Lions' defense? Here again, we get to talk about the Packers' identity. What did we learn about the Packers last week? Well, the story about the Packers all offseason was that Matt LaFleur and Brian Gutekunst want to build this running juggernaut. And that may be a little bit of hyperbole, but basically the the story was the Packers are going to be this run-based team. The Packers threw it a lot last week. In fact, throwing the ball was their primary offense. 
That is not to say the Packers have deviated from this new philosophy. It's still possible to be run-based without being run-heavy, but I think that it is an important distinction. The Packers' offense is still based around the the run. Run Run-based motion, run-based play action, and then wide zone, inside zone sprinkled in there with a variety of different body types carrying the ball. They may not run it more than they pass it. They may not run it even 50-50, but I think that is still a run-based offense. From there, the Packers want to just find the weaknesses in the secondary and use their personnel to take advantage of it. Last week, that was Devontae Adams squaring off against young corners and just probing them wherever he could find an opening. Often that was quick outs, but not always. Sometimes that was going deep. Sometimes it was just sitting at the sticks and waiting for Aaron Rodgers to find him. And with the Lions secondary being pretty banged up, I think there is reason to believe that the Packers can simply just do that again. The Lions do have some strengths here. Their defensive line is not terrible. Trey Flowers remains formidable. They may have overpaid for him, but he's still a good player, and he had a good debut in Week 1. If the Lions want to prevent Aaron Rodgers and the Packers receivers from just dissecting their secondary like they did to the the Vikings in Week 1, they're going to have to get some push up front. I think there's a good reason to think that the Packers, though, are going to be able to move the ball against the Lions much the way they did against the Vikings. Before we get to a preview, let's take a second and recall the last time the Packers and Lions played. It feels like a million years ago. In fact, if I reach back into my memory banks, it feels like the last Packers-Lions game was actually before the last Packers-Vikings game, but that is not the case. The Packers finished out the 2019 season taking on the Detroit Lions at Ford Field. The Lions gave the Packers trouble for a lot of that game. Aaron Rodgers was not terribly special that day. It took him 55 attempts to get to 323 yards, not overly efficient. Aaron Jones was solid but not spectacular, 100 yards on 25 carries, but the Packers ultimately got the job done, tying the game and then driving down for a late Mason Crosby field goal that gave the Packers the win as time expired. And as several people, including Matt LaFleur, have noted, that gave the Packers two wins over the Lions last year without ever actually leading while there was time on the clock. Don't know if we'll ever see that again. Still pretty cool, though. And I'm glad to be on the uh, the winning side of that as opposed to losing. So, who's going to win on Sunday? If we approach this as being about the Packers, I think there is a better chance that the Packers will be able to, I guess I would put it as manifesting their identity. I would say there's a better chance of the Packers manifesting their identity Sunday than the Lions becoming whoever they are aspiring to be. And I was thinking about how to characterize the Lions today as I, as I look through their team. And, and this has kind of been the thing with the Lions for about as long as you can remember. I don't think there's ever been a time in, really since, I don't know, Mike Sherman era Packers, 2000 a present or so, where the Lions haven't had really good players they always have some sort of top-end talent on their team. Calvin Johnson, Matthew Stafford, Barry Sanders, 
Remember Sean Rogers, their enormous defensive lineman who was a force for a few years? There's always somebody pretty good on there. Darius Slay for a few years. You always have top-end talent, but it never seems cohesive. It never seems like it comes together. A lot of the times, they have, I think arguably, maybe during some of the down years for the Packers at least, had as much talent as the Packers. They've had some really talented teams. It's just never come together. What I think we saw last week for the Packers was all of their talent coming together. Looking at how that game went, the Packers may not play a game that good the rest of the season, at least on offense. Their personnel groupings worked because everybody was healthy. You can throw 35 different sets out there if you've got everybody healthy. But as guys start to get banged up, you lose that a little bit. But the Packers were pretty close to their peak identity last week. Everything came together. And what happens when you've got a talented team that comes together and clicks on all cylinders, fires on all cylinders against a team that's just not all on the same page? Well, you put up 43 points. 43 points, that could have been 53 points. All right? That's what happens. And I think, at least based on how the Lions seem to have performed in Week 1, there's a good chance that the Packers at least will be able to do what they like to do against the Lions on Sunday. There's another side of that coin. Based on our outline above, I think there's also a pretty good chance that the Lions could at least implement a good portion of what they like to do or they would hope to do against the Packers' defense. If the Lions indeed do want to attack the middle of the Packers' defense, it would seem like they've got the pieces to do it. And if we know anything about the Packers' defense over the last now 20 games or so, however many all of last season was and then this year, it's that they are a little bit vulnerable up the middle. That is understating it to be sure, but that is where they are vulnerable. I think the Packers are going to win on Sunday, but I think there's a good chance it could be another shootout-type game. The Packers-Vikings game really wasn't a shootout, even if the score looked that way, because the Vikings didn't really keep it close in the second half. If the Packers can't control the ball like they did against the Vikings, I think there's a good chance that this could be an actual shootout. I like the Packers' chances being at home, seeming to be a cohesive team. But I think it could be could be fairly close, and I think there are going to be a lot of points scored. So I will take the Packers 31, Lions 26. Packers start the season 2-0. 94% of the voters in our weekly Packers poll thought the Packers were going to win this week. That is up slightly from last week, but still shows uh, a good amount of confidence in the Packers team. Not up a lot last week. Packers fans were pretty confident going into their week one game against the Vikings. Just 89.7% of voters, or still 89.7% of voters, thought the Packers would win, up to 94 this week. Overall, the Packers uh, are turning a lot of heads among, pa- or on, among Packers fans. Approval ratings jumped from 67.7% for the entire team all the way up to 939 Percent. Matt LaFleur, the most popular man in Green Bay, just edging out Aaron Rodgers in the approval ratings this week. 97.9% approve of LaFleur's job so far this year. Aaron Rodgers comes in a tenth 
of a percent behind it, 97.8. At the other end of the spectrum, a notable development at the bottom end of our scale. Sean Menenga has historically been quite unpopular among Packers fans, but he is not in last place anymore. 43.5% of voters this week approved approve of his job so far this year. That is significantly ahead of one Mike Pettin, whose approval rating drop, drops to 28.6%. Pettin has now finished behind Menenga in two of our last three polls. Beat him in week one, but in our final poll of the 2019 season. And this week, he came in behind special teams coordinator Sean Menenga. I don't know what to make of that trend overall. Petten's approval rating has been pretty volatile in the time we've been tracking it, but I think it is still noteworthy that he is finishing below Menenga, who at a couple points last year was at a 0% approval rating among Packers fans. Ultimately, I do think the Packers win this game. Uh, I think they will continue to do pretty well on offense, but um, I'm interested to see how people's feelings about this team change after the game, especially if it's not an absolute dominant performance start to finish. One more thought before we go. There is a bit of a war on this week among Packers fans. Well, really among a few members of the Packers beat and a few of my colleagues at Acme Packing Company. Analytics is a bit of a tricky wicket, isn't it? Uh, Love it or hate it, I don't think you can deny that it's here to stay. People are going to be using analytics to talk about sports teams. The debate seems to be, and you can read about this a little bit at Acme Packing Company, seems to be about whether people trust only analytics or not. We learned this week that there's a significant number of Packers beat writers who believe that people who are analytics-minded only trust in spreadsheets. Of course, that is not true. I think most of the people who listen to this show tend to be fairly analytics-minded. I think that's probably because of some of the content that we put out here. It tends to be a little bit more analytics-driven, partly for time reasons. I think I've been pretty open about that. I would love to do more film breakdown. Uh, That's something I really enjoy doing. But it also takes a lot of time. And it also doesn't tend to translate very well to this kind of medium. So we tend to talk about stats. But never let it be said that we should rely entirely on one or the other. A balanced perspective is what it's going to take to get to the truth. And that's really what we're trying to do here. If we're trying to become smarter Packers fans and smarter football fans in general, what we're looking for is not a stat that backs up our opinion or a particular play that highlights, you know, just one thing that we want to believe about our team or a player or whatever. We're looking for the truth. What is true about the Packers? What is true about the way they perform and why? And both analytics and film can help us do that. But putting them together or relying on those who are really good at analyzing one or really good on on analyzing another and marrying their perspective is going to help us get there. Don't throw out one entirely or the other entirely. Understanding things like DVOA, for example, can be hard. It's not necessarily the most intuitive number. And there's a lot of 
the advanced sort of metrics that are out there that aren't super easy to digest. They're, they're not a scannable number. But learning a little bit and learning where they come from will help them make them more palatable, help make them more palatable, and you can increase your understanding about the game. And if it turns out after you do that that you don't like it still, well, then you can move on and find something that you do like. Same goes for film study. It's tough. Uh, it's it's time-consuming, but it's it's worth doing, especially if you get someone who's really good at it who can explain how to do it well for you. So that's my take on, on the kerfuffle that happened this week uh, among the Packers beat and, and Packers, I guess, non-professional media like myself. We can all have a, a seat at this table, but don't characterize someone's position as being, I don't know, misguided just because you don't happen to like it. There are legitimate positions to be had on both sides of the aisle, but going forward with, I guess, a, a foot on both sides is really the way to do it. If that analogy even works, I'm not even sure that's the best analogy. It sounds like trying to change horses in midstream, but I think you know what I'm trying to say. Use film, use analytics, and try to find the truth. Don't just try to defend your viewpoint. There, that's what I was trying to say. Wasn't that hard. So I've got for you in this episode. We'll see you Sunday after what hopes to be another Packers winner. Only noon kickoff until after Thanksgiving. Enjoy it if you are somebody who happens to like those midday kickoffs like me. In the meantime, uh, if you enjoyed this preview or know somebody who would, go ahead and share it. That is going to help more people find the show, and more people have been finding the show lately. It's been interesting to watch those download numbers go on as the the regular season gets rolling here, and I'm happy to bring you as much content as we possibly can. So share it, help more people find the show, and ultimately help more people uh, continue this conversation around the Packers, which will help us all become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.